Hi, this is Bron Burton and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. It's uh, coming up to two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Farm. Hi, everyone. How are you, Farm? Good. How good. are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Good to see you through two panes of glass. I know, right? Separate <laughs> studios. That's us. Long distance relationship on radio. <laughs> I love it. Hey, thanks so much, Tim, for Vital Bits today and yesterday. And you can catch Tim next week, uh, Saturday morning, 6am and Sunday at 6am for more Vital Bits. And um, I did love his program today. Thank you also, Andrew, Retro Andrew, for Retro Soulful Bits. A bit of Peter, Paul and Mary. I picked up a Peter, Paul and Mary LP in an op shop. Couldn't believe it was there. It's three bucks. Bargain. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I thought, how is, um, yeah, how does someone not snap this one up? Well, well, you have now, so someone did. I know. Good job. Yeah, good point. <laughs> All right, today's program. Um, Farm, we're kicking off with you. Oh, well, let's do a little bit of weather first. Very, uh, very uh, uh, short weather. It is currently 11.7 uh, degrees in Melbourne, but it feels like 8.8 according to Willy Weather. Mm. Um, we've got 11 kilometres an hour winds today with some gusty bits at 13 k's an hour. And uh, it's going to be partly cloudy tomorrow and the chance of fog in the early morning, light winds becoming southeastern 15 to 20 k's an hour in the morning and then becoming light in the early afternoon. So not much going to change. Excellent. Thank you. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> we might look up a tide, f- tide times um, forecast too. We normally rely on the, um, the, the physical paper. Yes. And um, we don't have it yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And so um, we'll, it's, it's all very neatly, conveniently sort of put on one page, whereas um, we're kind of jumping between screens. Yeah, I'm furiously Googling at the moment. (laughs) That's right. We'll come back to that one. Um, So let's go through today's uh, rundown of what we've got. Plastic literacy we're kicking off with after we play a a track. Yeah, we've got uh, Ricky Herzberg, who is the uh, Executive Director of Plastic Oceans Australasia, joining us today, talking about a new seminar series and a little bit about what Plastic Oceans Australasia does as an organisation. So stay tuned for that one. Brilliant. No time to waste. Yes, exactly. Great title. Really looking forward to speaking with Ricky. Um, we've got some news which we'll catch up um, on with. Um, various people have reached out to us, so thanks for that. We'll, um, we'll touch on that shortly too. We're then going to be uh, speaking with Dallas De Silva from the Victorian Fisheries Authority. Um, Dallas was on the program about five or six weeks ago, back in early April, talking about um, at that time it was the sorts of things, there was some debate around what you could or couldn't do under the restrictions, um, the coronavirus-related restrictions, and so we caught up with Dallas on that. We also wanted to talk about uh, spider crabs, but we ran out of time. So we're going to be doing that today, speaking with Dallas about how our spider crabs are doing, um, upcoming research into their migration dynamics, and um, there were some major community concerns which arose in late June last year with... uh, anecdotal reports and verified of um, some pretty serious overfishing going on. So we're going to have a chat to Dallas about that and um, about those community concerns and where the, where the um, authority is at with that at the moment. And then uh, Brett Ditchfield, our cabin boy, is going to bring us cabin boy diaries. So 
Can't wait. Yeah. Let's uh, launch into some news. He's been shipbuilding. <laughs> Guess Can't which track I'm going to play wait. before we get Brett on. Um, <laughs> thank you, Nerida, very much. Nerida's paneling for us today. She's got up the marine forecast. Um, it says Collingwood Marine Information. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, wind and wave forecasts. Um, here we go. Port Phillip and Western Port. Uh, a low-pressure system over Tasman Sea will move slowly east with today and into early next week. Meanwhile, a high-pressure system over the Bight will drift slowly southeastwards and is expected to pass to the south of Tasmania on Monday, extending a ridge towards uh, northwards across Bass Strait. The high will then move over southern Tasman Sea on Tuesday as a cold front crosses the Bight. Thanks, Nero. This is very comprehensive. Um, for today, uh, Port Phillip, southerly 15 to 20 knots, decreasing to about 10 knots in the evening. Seas are 1 to 1.5 half metres, decreasing below one metre by early evening with some cloudy weather there. And um, we'll check out those tide times for you as well. Thanks. That was really comprehensive. <laughs> a career as a weather girl is not wasted on me. <laughs> oh, we've got the tides. Oh, this is at St Kilda. I wonder if we can get um, Port Phillip heads. I'll read the St Kilda ones in the meantime. We are heading for a low tide at 10.12, uh, which is going to be a 0.18 tide, and then a high tide at 5.12 this afternoon um, at 0.97 metres. That's at um, St Kilda. So we'll check out the heads ones for you as well. Awesome. Uh, Let's go to some news. You may have heard already that uh, this week on, I think it was Tuesday, there was a, uh, a juvenile humpback whale that was caught off uh, Burley Heads mm. in one of the shark nets, the very controversial shark nets that have been placed there. Um, it was kind of a, a good cowboy story, wasn't it? Because there was a, a free diver happened to be uh, going past and uh, he saw the, the humpback whale tangled in there by its uh, one of its pectoral uh, fins and he, he dove into about nine, eight, eight, nine metres, I think. He had to free dive and he, he freed the whale. Um, but at the same time, the uh, local fisheries authorities had already uh, been called as well and turned up and find the man on the spot. So that was quite an interesting situation there mm. uh, because apparently you're not allowed to go within 20 metres of any uh, fishing equipment by the government, so shark nets and drum lines and things like that. Uh, and because he violated those rules, uh, he could be fined up to $26,000 for this rescue. Outrageous. Yeah, well, he uh, he wasn't sorry about it. He said he said you know it's it's something that anyone would have done for a, a young humpback whale. Um, and in an interview with uh, Dr. Olaf Meineke, who is the uh, head researcher of humpbacks and high rises, a not-for-profit that researches whales in the area, um, said that it's actually quite unusual for humpback whales to get entangled in the month of May. So that's actually never happened in the last 60 years, mm. uh, which was quite an interesting thing. But Obviously, these shark nets are quite dangerous and there is a, a, definitely a lack of scientific evidence into how well they work um, and that they should be replaced by drum lines, if anything. I'm pretty sure I saw an update via um, Sea Shepherd um, that they just the decision to find him had been overturned and oh, they weren't going to proceed with it. But we'll check that one out. Yeah, I was thinking anyway that if this man gets fined, he will probably be able to crowdfund that fine within 10 minutes yeah. <laughs> just like egg boy did i would have thought so too yeah. all right um has passed me um another update so this is western port stony point tides and um heading for we've had a low tide at 7:22 this morning heading for a high tide at 2:30, um which will be a 3.03 meter tide wow that's a big tide so there you go thanks Nerida. that's great
good to have um, different tide times from around the bay. Um, one really quick um, message, and this is really good, and um, then we'll go to a track. Uh, this one came from Ocean Divers, and just wanting to mention um, the water is very calm, as you tend to get at this time of the year, late autumn, perfect, perfect conditions, and great viz at Rye this morning, and there is a new ramp which is open where um, you can uh, walk down. The jetty's been updated. It all looks pretty spectacular down at Rye, so perfect timing. I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. Can't wait to go down there for a snorkel and uh, look under the pier and see who's still hanging out there. <laughs> Ocean divers give it the big thumbs up. So good one. Thank you, guys. All right. Come. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinada en tres triple R. En tres triple R, indeed you are. And um, if you've just tuned in, um, that was Yoko Ono and the Plastic Ono Band and Healing. That was... Um, written and um, and recorded in 2014, so quite prophetic, really, when you think about it. Yeah. The lyrics, time for the world to heal, I suppose that's always the case, but uh, never more so than now. It's 9.15, you're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. And on the phone with us, we have Ricky Herzberg, who is the Executive Director of Plastic Oceans Australasia Foundation. Now, you might remember in 2016, uh, an environmental documentary called A Plastic Ocean came out that made a lot of waves, literally and figuratively, um, in the anti-waste and uh, zero-waste and plastics community. And um, Ricky has been uh, joining the organization since the last two years. Uh, She has been instrumental in forging relationships for the organization from local to global platforms and uh, she started her plastics journey as at an early age working with her family's plastic recycling business I believe her father was the first ever plastic recycler in Victoria actually and she has devoted her life's work to environmental sustainability projects in the corporate community government and not-for-profit sectors um, she has initiated various programs such as the Asia Pacific Healthy Ocean campaign in Hong Kong for schools and used to be the business development and sustainability lead for one of Australia's leading urban development industry bodies, operating the delivery of the National Enviro Development Program. And she has also done senior management positions at the WWF and Greening Australia. Welcome, Ricky. That's a pretty impressive CV you got there. Hi, good morning. How are you, Pam? Yeah, very well, very well. How are you this morning? Thank you for joining us on Radio Marinara. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. I appreciate it. Now, um, can you tell us a little bit about what uh, Plastic Oceans Australasia does? What is what is your mission? Yes, certainly. So our, our, our main our main focus is to is generational change to change people's thinking how they uh, use plastic and how they can change the way they use their plastic um, within a generation. So that's our, our number one goal is is to actually get people to use and um, think about plastic more responsibly and the way they do it. So it's all about the behavioural change journey. Yeah, excellent. And that was um, kicked off by by your beautiful movie, A Plastic Ocean, in in 2016, because that really woke a lot of people up, didn't it? Yeah, that was the main main purpose for that film, was to to raise global awareness about the uh, insidious, uh, issue that we've got um, under the water, in the water, going into you know into the waterways, the streams. Many people just don't really think 
much more about what happens once it goes down the drain or into the rubbish bin. So that that, that was the main purpose. That film actually took about eight years to produce um, by Joe Ruxton, who was the founder for Plastic Oceans um, in the beginning, 2008 in the UK. So we only started Australasia in 2017, so we spanned quite a big area here. Uh, which is um, challenging in itself uh, because of the, the different countries. But we find that our three areas of trading, which is um, obviously education, working with businesses to become more sustainable, um, and then, of course, that everything that we do is underpinned by the science. We find that that's a really good mix to help people to have the opportunity to do something about it on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, what I found really interesting about your your program, that's we'll we'll dive into that a little bit deeper, is that you have a dedicated program that actually helps businesses as a whole to uh, move away from using plastics in their day to day operations. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I I think it has a, a really great name. It's called the the Epic Program. Yes, our Epic Program. Yeah. Well, I'm not really big on acronyms, but this one works out. <laughs> it's a really good one. Um, because it is epic to take it on, and it's uh, and it, you know, and it's epic if one can uh, complete it, which most people do so far. So that's been really great. Epic actually probably should just say what it does mean, um, so what it stands for. So it's basically engagement to become plastic free through innovation and change. So what we do is it's a 12-month program, and and um, it's very very uh, easy to follow. It's broken up into four parts, and we invite businesses, groups, government. Um, it doesn't matter what what you're doing uh, to actually um, work through systematically how they can become single-use plastic three plastic three in their business area workplace site can be you know a manufacturing business it could be a mining company it could be anything it doesn't really matter the process is the same so we we work through that with the organisations and uh, it's for very for them it can be quite ground. Um, grounding as well as um, uh, you know a change that they've never experienced before because they really are thinking every day about what they're doing you know we do surveys audits um, of community a lot of engagement within their own within their own peer group because it's all about the staff internally working together first before we go externally with their customers and client base so it's pretty expansive very flexible though we've tailor it to the different organisations and we've um, found it to be a really great model uh, for change not just for businesses but in particular also for schools so we have the same type of program for schools um, obviously dumbed down a bit easier and more fun for the kids but the the business one has so far um, hit a lot of the goals that these organisations are looking for so um, right now it's more important than ever to not take our eye off the what's been going on with the plastic waste, particularly single use in the time right now with the pandemic and now coming out of it, what are we going to do? How are we going to move forward? Because we have dropped the ball and, and I was talking to some other people about last week and um, it's quite an issue with the fact that everybody's thinking now we mustn't use single use plastic again, which is, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, and we have been talking uh, on the show about this as well, where where people have this this uh, idea that single-use plastics or using plastic bags rather than uh, uh, your normal uh, reusable shopping bags at the supermarket, for example, is more hygienic for some reason, uh, for which there is absolutely no evidence. And I would actually say it's 
probably the opposite because you can't control who touches those plastic bags before you touch them, right, at the supermarket. Yeah. Um, so, so what have you been uh, observing uh, given those trends? Do you do you really think we we went backwards during the pandemic? I mean, I I know I have seen more litter that is medical related, such as uh, you know um, mouth guards or what you call those um, masks and, uh, and and plastic gloves and things like that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I definitely have gone into a, a grey zone of people actually getting mixed messages um, and getting confused. I think the public is quite confused about what they should and shouldn't do. Um, there's been messages about, you know, don't you, don't take your teacups to coffee refilled, and obviously you wouldn't be anyway because the cafes have been closed up until now. So, um, but in particular the medical waste has really escalated the issue of single-use plastic and now more than ever we need to um, stick with our knitting as I always say and and be responsible about what we do it doesn't make any difference whether or not um, you're having a cup of coffee in a plastic cup or in a keep cup whatever it is you have to be responsible about what you're doing with it so yeah exactly yeah, so we've noticed that um, that there's, there's definitely this confusion. People don't really know what to do. That was the um, the reason why I um, felt that it was really important to get some strong messaging out there <clears throat> through one of our seminars that's coming up next week, which I which I wanted to um, make urgent to people's attention, and that's my time. Um, Sorry, so, you were just breaking up there for a second, Ricky. So that is the No Time to Waste seminar series that's being organised by Plastic Oceans. Yes, please do continue. Yes, sure. Um, so that that seminar was um, started out this one in April and the, the whole purpose for that was to keep the awareness and keep people thinking about what they're doing with their plastic waste. Um, and the first one was actually about behavioural change. The second one, which is on Thursday, on the 28th of May, coming up in a few days, that one is really focusing on medical waste and uh, plastic in the ocean and also about waste management. So that one is going to be more on the sciencey side of it, which we found that we had such an overwhelming response from the first one. We wanted to delve deeper into it with the actual um, the, the, the science, technology, engineering, the actual what the can do and what sort of solutions and possible um, outcomes can come from, in particular what's happening with medical clinical waste worldwide. Yeah, and you see, you have a really interesting mix of panellists uh, on that uh, No Time to Waste series as well this coming Thursday, uh, including people who have been studying uh, this, you know, waste and have been working in waste for, for three decades, but also an inventor, I saw. Yeah, so we've got uh, Dr. Lynn Humphreys, who's the CEO of Lysella, and he's um, delivered many breakthroughs in technologies about plastic waste and, and um, uh, in, including the CAT HTRTM, which is the catalytic uh, hydrothermal reactor chemical recycling technology. So that's um, probably a bit early in the morning to be giving people all that, but <laughs> it's pretty pretty groundbreaking what he's doing. And, and they're located actually in New South Wales, and they've got uh, a plant that's very interesting in what they can do in, in, in uh, uh, working with medical waste in particular with the contaminants. So, so that's going to be really interesting to hear from Len. Um, we've also got Associate Professor from Griffith University, Dr Sunil Harat, 
and he's um, he's been working as an advisor with the United Nations in their 3R forum for Asia-Pacific, um, uh, particularly in um, e-waste and also plastic waste management that they do here in um, in Queensland at the university there. So he's going to be really interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to talking with him as well. And then lastly, um, we have Dr. Jeff Wrighty, who's a technical director and a scientist in his own right from the UK. So he's been working on environmental issues, including plastics, flooding, water quality, fish, um, some really interesting uh, fish marine uh, information, which I think most people will find fascinating, so I won't, I won't spoil that, um, and also climate change adaption, so um, adaptation. So it'll be really interesting to have them on, and that's co-hosted with um, uh, Professor Sharon Rundle Thiel, who's actually the Director of, of Marketing at Griffith University as well. So it's going to be quite a full board for an hour and 15, so I hope people uh, would like to join us on that one. And if they have any questions they'd like to ask us, science or otherwise, um, you know, they can register online through our website, um, plasticoceans.org.au, just do a little shout out there, and, um, and or on the Griffith University site. So um, that would be really... Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be something to be looking forward to. So that will be the Time to Wait series on 28th of May, this Thursday, coming up from 4pm till 5.15pm. And after the show, I'll be putting on a Facebook post on the Radio Marinara Facebook, so you can just click right through and uh, register on the spot. Thank Fantastic, thanks for that. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Ricky. It was really good to speak with you. And uh, yeah, I'd love to stay in touch because, uh, you know, this plastic literacy segment has been going for about a year now and uh, I want to start roping in some more people like you, some co-conspirators <laughs> in tackling this plastic waste uh, issue that we are facing as a, as, as a society and as a planet as a whole. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, and yeah, enjoy your Sunday and let's stay in touch. Thank you. Thanks so much, fans. I appreciate it. Bye -bye. No problem. So that was Ricky Herzberg, the uh, Executive Director of Plastic Oceans Australasia, talking about their work with businesses and helping them go plastic-free and also their No Time to Waste series coming up. Fantastic. And this Thursday from 4 till 5.15pm. And uh, what a wonderful lineup and a great panel for discussion. So many great online interactive sessions like this. Um, uh, happening at the moment it's it's really wonderful yeah and the participation rates have skyrocketed as well because people can just do it from their living room now um so you know the number of people that can actually make it to these seminars and presentations has really gone up which is fantastic and i'm noticing most of them are in the late afternoon so they're sort of in that pocket between you know your your work day if you're working from home and then getting into whatever you do in the evening so yeah, there's exactly. that sort of yeah get a get a drink <laughs> choice <laughs> Sit back and watch. 4pm wine time. <laughs> Drink responsibly, of course. It's not a webinar, it's a wine in R. <laughs> nice. 9.30, you are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. A couple of quick things to mention. We've been talking about online forums and discussions and, and all sorts of things that you can get involved in. Um, we've been promoting Winter by the Sea, which is uh, it's the, the winter equivalent of Summer by the Sea, particularly in these current times where you can take part, observe all sorts of stuff from your own home or wherever you want to be really as long as you've got internet access. Um, so what's coming up this week? Uh, the virtual reality room where you can explore some key habitats of Victoria's marine and coastal protected areas with a virtual field trip led by Parks Victoria staff being launched each month, each 
month. So um, this week's one's coming up on the 25th of May, which I believe is, is that Thursday or Friday? <laughs> I should have written the day down. Uh, oh, no, it's not. It's Tuesday, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> what day is it again? Tuesday, 25th of May. This is Rockpool Ramble at Barwon Bluff Marine Sanctuary. Oh, you can't get down there. This is the next best thing with uh, Ranger Lockie Cohen. Can so- I just say 25th of May is Monday. Oh, is it? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's because at the top of the running sheet it's got the 24th. Thanks, Nerida. This is tomorrow. This is happening tomorrow. Okay, I think we've clarified Nerida's really saving us today with the weather and the the dates and stuff. Thank you, Nerida. Oh, thank you, Nerida. Um, Tomorrow, I'll start this again. Tomorrow, the 25th of May uh, at at, at four, what did I say? (laughs) We're going to put the details on our Facebook page. Maybe 4.30. 4.30 tomorrow. Let's just go to a song. (laughs) Okay, I've got this straight now. 4.30 till 5.15 tomorrow. Rockpool Ramble at Barwon Bluff Marine Sanctuary with Ranger Lockie Cohen. It'll be awesome. It'll be better than what I've just said. So um, also I just wanted to mention a call that came through a little while ago from Suzanne on the Gold Coast. You'll be interested in this one, Fum. Um, So she's listening via streaming. Yay. Hi, special hi to you, Suzanne, um, to uh, to bring us up to speed on the um, the whale rescuer. Um, so uh, the charges have been dropped. There was an enormous amount of money raised through crowdfunding, as you rightly predicted, from, <laughs> um, and it's all being donated to um, to whale research. Oh, fantastic! Isn't Is that, that humpback and uh, humpbacks and high rises organisation? Hopefully, ah, oh, might be. Yeah, didn't get the details. Yeah, Dr. Olaf Meinecke, pretty pretty cool dude. Fantastic. We should get him on the show, actually. I, I totally agree. Let's do that. <laughs> he, uh, he actually uh, uh, researches whale snot. <laughs> and if you're a citizen scientist, you can go out and help catch some whale snot. Oh. Do you want a quick fish poo story before we line up Dallas to Silver? Oh, my God. Hit me. Yeah. Now, this is really good. So um, this is some research being done by the um, Australian Institute of Marine Science, analysing fish faeces and using genetic markers to determine which species eat the crown of thorn starfish. So um, I do love a good fish poo story. This one's pretty cool. Um, so there have been four outbreaks and one is currently underway um, of the crown of thorns. Um, and of course, given that we're just coming off another massive um, coral bleaching event, this sort of adds pain um, to current pain. Um, but anyway, they've been using these genetic markers unique for crown of thorns and developed at aims to detect the presence of starfish DNA in various fish poo and gut contents. So at least 18 coral reef species, including um, spangled emperor, red throat emperor and black spotted puffer, consume young or adult starfish on the reef. There you go. Well, they are they are a part of the natural ecosystem, so that shouldn't be too much of a surprise, right? Mm. Interesting. That, yeah. Um, there's a bunch of fish which have not been previously reported to feed on crown of thorns. So these include neon damsel, red spot emperor and oh, the black spot snapper. Um, so really fantastic research and just goes to show how important science is and why we do need to keep funding science. It makes me wonder which uh, native species would be feeding here on um, uh, the, the uh, sea urchins that are, that are causing trouble in the bay every now and then. That'll be uh, interesting to know. Yeah. Plus introduced. Yeah. Northern Pacific Sea Star. Oh, so many options. In a recent survey, 88.5% of marine scientists said that people who do not subscribe to 3RRR not only detrimentally affect their own health, but 
probably kill dolphins. Subscribe to 3RRR. It's good for your health and will probably save dolphins and whales and baby seals and those cute little octopus things. That Bit of silliness there for a Sunday morning. Why not? <laughs> Who did the dolphin sound? I love it. <laughs> the one at the end. <laughs> I think that was Gary Seven. That actually. was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Narrator resonating. Yep. Okay. It's uh, 9.38, 22 minutes to 10. And yes, you are listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Spider crabs. Um, where are they? Uh, we are expecting them at this time of the year and we've been wondering how our spiders are doing around a migration season with considerably fewer humans around. So to get the lowdown and talk about some upcoming research into the migration habits of spider crabs and what's been happening to address some community concerns about some crabbing behaviour back uh, about 12 months ago, it's a great pleasure to welcome back from Victorian Fisheries Authority, Director of Fisheries Management and Science, Dallas De Silva. Good morning, Dallas. Morning, Brian. How are you going there? Yeah, good, thanks. How's yourself? Yeah, very good. I'm just down here at lovely Point Gellibrand looking over the bay and uh, yeah, had to find a bit of a quiet spot to do the interview. Oh, very nice. We, um, we, predict, we predicted some calm seas this morning. Is that the case from where you are? Uh, it's a little bit choppy out here. There's a few whitecaps around. So, um, yeah, no boats out. But it's, um, it's, a, it's a lovely morning still and there's you know, a few people out exercising and that sort of stuff. So... I, uh, I just had to find a nice bright spot away from uh, the distractions at home. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that's all about. Now, um, when you were with us uh, five or six weeks ago, we were talking about what people could and couldn't do under coronavirus restrictions. Has that changed now with um, the restrictions starting to ease a bit, um, particularly with fishing? Yeah, it has, Bron. So last time I was on your show, the, you know, we were right in the middle of the, the fishing ban and uh, the, the Premier and the Chief Medical Officer announced on the 12th of May you can go fishing now, um, but you need to do it uh, in a really considered way. Uh, groups of no more than 10 people, and you still must ensure the 1.5 metre uh, social distancing rules. Um, so, yes, we've had a come out of a period where fishing was banned uh, in Victoria for, for six weeks, and uh, recreational fishers were, were fantastic, I've got to say. They, they, they really helped flatten the curve, and um, you know, so we're, we're in a situation now where you can go fishing, uh, but as always, yeah, we're asking fishers to, to be considered and use common sense when it comes to their activities. Are you finding, um, just with your people out there and sort of doing checks on what people are doing, that um, that's been the case? I suppose the restrictions have only been eased for a period of days, but is that something yeah. that your officers are, are observing? Yeah, we are. We're seeing that, you know, generally speaking, that there's, there's really good awareness and, and understanding of the sort of, you know, the situation we're in and, and this is a really unusual um, circumstances that we find ourselves in, such a, a global pandemic. But it's been really pleasing to see the, the behaviour and the, the cooperation from, from fishers and boaters on this. It certainly has been a massive group effort across the entire state. And I think it's one thing that, you know, we can all be particularly proud of um, moving forward, you know, looking at where we are now. And I know there's a sense out there of let's not blow this because we've done so well. Uh, and I think, you know, that's that's a fairly common sentiment as well. Um, last time yeah. we had you on, uh, we covered a fair bit of ground, um, also including the current state of abalone fishery in Victoria. But we ran out of time before we could get to the spider crabs. Um, so is that OK if we go there now? Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, what a fantastic aggregation we have coming into the bay again this time of year. It's such a amazing um, migration that happens. You know, they, they obviously come in to, to molt, and we've seen it covered on the Blue Planet, and it, yeah, it's such a great 
uh, asset for the bay. Such a great uh, thing that we get to see. And, um, you know, we've been doing a bit of research on this the last 12 months and we've had a number of meetings with some of the uh, community groups and uh, the dive sector in particular. And, yeah, we're going to continue that dialogue. But uh, we've been doing a, a fair bit of research and I can announce on the show today that we're going to um, yeah, kick off some pretty, uh, pretty special research in the next month or so. We're going to be satellite tagging some of these, uh, these crabs to see what they get up to and where they go. So that's, that's great and we're really keen to involve um, some of your listeners and some of the dive community in helping us uh, do that, that science. It's, uh, it's something we're pretty excited about. Dallas, uh, hi, Fum here. Uh, my marine scientist mind was just blown when you said putting tags on crabs and see where they go. Uh, what is the plan here? Can you elaborate a little bit? Yeah, yeah, we've got um, we've got these special tags that our Queenscliff researchers have identified as um, being able to do the job. So um, we're going to aim to tag a bunch of these crabs and um, using satellite technology. It's, it's pretty exciting and um, yeah, we'll get to see what these, these crabs get up to once they um, finish their molt and they go back out. So um, that's just one part of the, the research as well. We want to look at um, some of the other biological sort of research, looking at the size of the crabs, the sex of the crabs. Um, we're going to be asking anglers if they'd also like to participate if they're out fishing for them. Um, so, yeah, divers and anglers have a really good opportunity to work together here. We're looking to collect the molt that have been washed up on the beaches or that divers might have collected. Because uh, as you know, fam, that scientists can get a lot of information from the discarded shell. And yeah, gaining a, a greater understanding of, of the dispersal of the spider crabs, first aggregation is really important. So um, exciting stuff and yeah, we're really, really keen to get on with that. That's really fantastic, especially involving the, uh, the dive community in this. So will there be some citizen science programs coming out of this that people can sign up to? Because I know I would love to get into the water and, and help out with spider crab research. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, you know, again, part of the chance to come on, on your show today and, and announce it today. So uh, it's still early days. We haven't actually worked out who's going to be involved, but we'd love to get as many people participating uh, in this, this bit of research as possible. Uh, we'll also be conducting surveys of anglers and asking them questions about why they fish for crabs. You know, we've done a little bit of social research in that space already. We've found out that the, the spider crab has a special significance and, and relevance for part of the multicultural community here in Victoria. Um, it's, it's very much, um, you know, very high value placed on, on the crab for, in their food and in their soups and broths and those sort of things. And it's similar to a type of crab that, that you get uh, in Japan and also in, in China. So um, we've done a fair bit of homework on it and actually came across a story on, uh, on spider crabs in Tasmania from, from 20 years ago, which um, we dug up and you know, we sent that across to Bron during the, during the week. So, yeah, the, the spider crab migration, you know, happens here. It happens in other states. Uh, also, not just, just the bay as well. So, um. Yeah, we're, um, we're really putting in a lot of work to try and find out as much about them as possible because they are such an amazing uh, you know, event that happens in, in Port Phillip Bay. We believe the, yeah, the real peak of the molt is going to happen around the full moon in June. So, um, yeah, that's coming up and that's also pretty exciting. And I guess unlike last year, Dallas, when this sort of caught a few people off guard, when there was a bit of a, a stacks on, not just with the crabs, but people going down to there to get them, um, at least yep. this, this time around we'll be more prepared because we, we can predict when the molt will happen, but we can also predict when these behaviours might start up again. And, um, you know, when we're talking about citizen science, we're also talking about 
um, <laughs> without wanting to draw reference to the old police academy movies, but citizens on patrol as well. You'll get all sorts of people out there sort of out there watching and waiting. <laughs> um, yeah. I've got that um, newsletter in front of me. It's, it's Invertebrata, um, Tasmania's Invertebrate Newsletter, and thanks for sending that through. Spider crab, on, uh, spider crab aggregation on Tasmania's northwest coast. And it was fantastic to read. We'll, um, I'll put a, um, a, a copy of it on our Facebook page. It's really just a bit of a summary about the crabs and it's really nothing that we don't already know. But really interesting, this was back in July 1999 and, and a very similar, you know, aggregation um, observations about their aggregation to what we, we're seeing here in Victoria. Do we know whether they still aggregate in Tasmania? Is this something that's still going on there or, you know, p- potentially is this something that has shifted to Victoria over the last 20 years? Yeah, that's a really good question, Bron. My understanding is that it, it does still happen in um, in Tassie, but it's probably not as, uh, as visible or it doesn't appear to be as visible. It doesn't have the same sort of coverage uh, in the media and, you know, with the, the dive industry down there at the moment. But um, there's a guy down there called Dr Caleb Gardner who... Uh, does a lot of work on crustaceans. He's one of the uh, Australia's leading crustacean fisheries biologists, and we're yeah, we're going to chat to him later next week and and find out a bit more about uh, what the latest is in is in in Tasmania. Uh, yeah, so that's some really exciting stuff. We're, I'll send you the uh, the actual full article if you like, because I've got that uh, email to me and and Caleb as well. He, he shared some of his insights and uh, some of the you know some of the history with uh, the Tasmanian event goes on down there and also chatting to dr mark norman who uh any of your listeners will know and uh you guys will know him as well yeah we've uh, had a, a lot to do with mark on the spider crab issue the last 12 months as well and his comment was that this has uh, probably been happening uh, for millions of years um, these migrations have been happening and you know they don't just happen here in in australia it happens uh, in japan and in other countries as well that's really fantastic, and I love the um, I love the parallel of the spider crabs aggregating and the fact that that um, that VFA is now uh, coordinating an aggregation of people from all these different sector groups and sort of having this coming together of, of interests from the recreational sector, recreational fishing sector, the conservation sector. You know, often it's the it's the animals in the middle of these tug of wars that end up becoming kind of lost in the in the real focus here, which is for us to understand more about them and um, and then have everybody sort of be comfortably satisfied that, that management is happening. So this is really yeah. exciting stuff. What can people do? Um, Farm mentioned she, she wants to get involved. I'm sure there's a lot of diving groups out there who want to get involved. Um, what can people do? What a cool thing to do too, by the way, getting down there and actually tagging crabs and, and seeing them sort of scuttle off and, and wondering whether they're going to come back next year. So it's awesome. Yeah, it is great. Um, what we might do is I'll, I'll ask um, Joe Klemke, who who is leading our sort of the policy management side of the spider crab work here and, and also Dr Corey Green from, from Queenscliff. I'll ask those guys to, to maybe get in contact with you during the week and we're also going to reach out to uh, the Spider Crab Alliance and, and yes, a, a number of the people we've met with already, AJ, Jackie, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of people that we're really keen to, to get in touch with this week coming. Um, we've just had the, the funding approved for this and, uh, yeah, it's getting to uh, a really exciting Point. Fantastic. Hey, thanks, Dallas. We had a quick question from um, from one of our listeners, but I might park this one till we have you on next time. It's about um, gummy sharks um, coming into Port Phillip Bay in Western Port, but um, we might hold that one off till next time. Unless, um, are you happy for me to pass that um, query on to you? Yeah, that'd be great, Brian. Happy to yeah take that take that and maybe deal with it out of session or 
um, yeah, offline, no right. problem. Perfect, we'll do. All right, thanks so much, Dallas, and good luck. And we can't wait to see what comes out of um, of this spider crab future alliance work. It's really wonderful. It's very yeah. exciting. Yeah, no worries. So we'll be in touch uh, this coming week, and, and thanks for the chance to come on your show and, and announce it uh, here today. Excellent. Always a pleasure. How exciting. Radio Marinara exclusive fun. Woohoo! <laughs> All right, have a great day, Dallas. We'll catch you soon. Thanks. Bye. OK, bye for now. Dallas De Silva there from a Victorian Fisheries Authority. Hello, funny lady Judith Lucy here. And when I want to find out about all things wet and salty, mmm, saucy, I tune in to Radio Marinara every Sunday morning at 9am on 102.7 3RRR. Oh, yeah, our very own new aqua woman there, Judith Lucy. Looking forward to having her back on the program at some point soon, we hope. Seven minutes to ten, time to uh, cross to Brett Ditchfield. Are you there, Brett? Seven minutes to ten? My goodness, where's that time gone? Oh, I cut Elvis Costello track short. It's actually a five-minute track, but um, I looked at the time and went, oh, my goodness, here we are. So, shipbuilding. Well, I think you might have uh, built it up a little bit bigger than what it is. And <laughs> what, it's not a, little a ship? Bit of interest- well, is it a dinghy? Quite. And it's kind of got me a little bit worried because, like, as a as a young youngster, a young youngster, you know, you had these dreams of building a big boat and sailing around the world. And the reality is, as an adult, I'm building a seven in, a seven foot dinghy that probably won't go more than two hundred meters off the shore. So. <laughs> oh, I called it. It was the dinghy. <laughs> That's so yeah. impressive, though. How many people can say they've built their own dinghy? I know it's good. I think there's a few out there because um. I got the plans from uh, well, Denman Marine. I'll give them a shout out. They're just in Kettering, Tasmania, and I got them off uh, just off lines. So they send you a big tube of plans. You can actually buy the kit that's already pre-cut, but I thought, nah, far too easy. I've got too much time on my hands. I'm going to do it the hard way. So, so what? Um, so what is the hard way? Well, they send you the plans. So they're life-size plans. They're full scale, and then you've got to get them onto some timber. So you lay them out and you put up a little pin print prick in, uh, pull the plans off, and then you kind of join the lines up. And then that's the, well, that's the part of your boat you need to cut out of the plywood. Okay, so it's out of plywood. Out of marine ply. So the difference between normal ply and marine ply, I I think it's just the glue. It's much better glue and hence (laughs) more expensive, of course. Plywood does not sound very waterproof, or is that just me? What what, is is that it? You cut your boat out of a piece of plywood and... That's it? That's it. Basically, well, when you think back, well, really, the most famous dinghy, I suppose, is the mirror dinghy. That, way back in the 60s, that was made out of plywood, and it was made out of a method that I'm using called stitch and glue. So what you do, cut out all your plywood, um, kind of get it in shape, and then you stitch it together with wire. So the wire holds it in place to make the boat shape. And then the glue bit is, well, previously it was fiberglass. They used to fiberglass all the seams and then uh, pull the wires out. But now we've got um, wood epoxy, so the technology's caught up. So, yeah, so it's all epoxied. And then I pull all the wires out and there's the shape of the boat. And so there's a little bit of um, reinforcing with fiberglass on the bottom and that. But basically it's just six mil plywood. Um, Nerida sent me a note here. Um, is this uh, previously designed to be built um, as a DIY and go on a car roof? Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is DIY and it will go on a car roof because it's just over seven foot. So uh, yeah, it's quite right. a small one. So one or two person. It does, um, you can put a sail on it. So it's got a centerboard and a rudder. 
yep. or a lot of people use it just for rowing. So it's kind of, I've made it as a little tender to row out to a yacht. So um, so it's small enough to do that. <laughs> so you build your small boat to get to your big boat. <laughs> I know it does my head in. As I said, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you going to build a yacht, or have you already you've already got oh, one? Nah, that. This, this is going to take. This is apparently it takes you about fifty fifty years, fifty hours to get the shape of the boat, and then double triple that to get it right. Yeah. Kind of you know sanding and making it glossy and all that. So no, I would not have the time or the patience to do uh, make a boat. But the the photos that you that the photos that you sent through, and we'll put these on our Facebook page. They're, they're, it's it's just kind of happening under your carport by the look of it, and it, at the moment it looks like the the sort of planks of timber are being held together by string. Is it string or is it wire? No, that's wire. It yeah, wire, that's the right. stitch and glue. So that's just all wired together. I've actually okay. I I did a fair bit of it yesterday, so it's all glued up. And uh, while I was waiting, I went out and pulled some of the wires out, so it's starting to look like a yeah a proper little boat there. Yeah, nice. And so what happens from now? Do you, you wait for the glue to dry and then are you um, varnishing it, painting it, oiling it? How, how does it go from here? It depends how good a job I do. <laughs> if it's not that great, I'm going to paint it. If I can get it looking nice, I'll varnish it. So hopefully white on the outside and varnished on the inside. So, yeah. Well, but, yeah, it's it's easy to do. Like, you know, a bit of time, a bit of patience. You don't need too many tools. So you don't need to be some kind of trade or woodworker it's it's any ma- anyone could do it any person could do it really and and how strong is this because i mean i'm 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 assuming you're going to christen this with a good bottle of champagne <laughs> will it damage the dinghy if you smash a bottle of champagne into it well maybe we might just like holy water sprinkle it across <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but it is it's quite amazing you know i've got four sheets of ply all two-dimensional and suddenly cut cut all together and then you've got a three-dimensional thing that how does that happen i don't know i did it and i still don't know how <laughs> it happened it's such a good project to do in isolation as well well that was it that was it i thought this is going to be when i look back in 10 years time it's like what did i do i built that bloody little boat so yeah well, it's your it's your iso dinghy it, I, I, well i was thinking of calling it that but there'll probably be that many iso dinghies out there so. <laughs> maybe there'll be an iso dinghy festival in the future <laughs> iso dinghy race <laughs> And bring your ISO baby too, you know. <laughs> Name Corona or COVID. I've been spotting that coming up. Hey, um, the, the big question, when will you decide on a name for it? Are you going to call it Corona or COVID? No, no, no. Because our yacht's name Magic, we're oh. going to call this little tender Tricks. Oh, cute. Yeah. So um, so people won't get it until we park next to each other. And then it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But if you do want to build your own, I've got a few other places you can go. So there, as I said, you can Google these places. Denman Marine, they're over in Tassie. There's Stray Dog Boat Works. They sell boat plans. They're over in Adelaide. Um, if you really want to get into it, you can get down to Franklin and the Wooden Boat Centre and they offer courses to do it. And if you want something bigger, there's also the Victorian Wooden Boat Centre, which is in uh, North Road near the Alma Dopel. They've got a big shed that you can actually rent room to build a boat into oh. and they'll give you a hand with it. So uh, there's a lot to, um, yeah. A lot of boat building so things out there. So it starts do. with a dinghy and work your way up from there. <laughs> it may finish with a dinghy too. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Brett. That's been awesome. No worries. Great show. I've been uh, enjoying just sitting here listening. So, yes, it's a nice start to the Sunday. Oh. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.